0: very significant decision that has great implications for what happens in your life is how you choose to treat people. This message is the second in the series, The Power of Personal Choices. The message is entitled, Be a Blessing. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to this uh, new series of messages we're involved in called The Power of Personal Choices. And last weekend, we talked about making a stand, taking a stand for God. I want to talk to you this weekend about being a blessing. How do you be a blessing? One of the greatest gifts that God gives you and me is the gift of choice. You and I get to choose, make choices. It's called the gift of free will. And God loves us so much that He never forces us to love Him. He gives us the option to love Him. See, if you are forced to love God or forced to love anyone, it's not really love. And so real love is always based upon a choice that you make. And so God blessed you and me with the gift of a free will, but He also holds us accountable, responsible for what we do with it how you use your will, how you choose in life. And in fact, what I would say to you as we're going into this series and involved in it, in fact, I would encourage you to be with me through the entire series as we're studying some very important things together. When you make a choice in life, your choices, those key choices, will determine the direction and the destiny of your life. If you want to improve your life, you need to simply do one thing, improve your decisions. The better decisions you make, the better life you're going to have. And one of those decisions involves learning how to make choices related to how you interact with the people around you. And in this series, we're primarily looking at the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapters 3, 1 through 3 somewhere around those chapters, perhaps even going a little bit further into the book of 1 Samuel. And we're taking a look at Samuel and some of the people that sur- surrounded his life and the choices that they made. And so I'm going to invite you to take a look with me tonight at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, as we look at a little bit of this story. I'll give you some background in a moment on the story. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. This is a part of the story going back to uh, Samuel's father and family. Okay. As we talked about last week, Samuel's father was a man by the name of Elkanah. And Elkanah was a man that loved God, served God, and worshipped God. But he lived in a very pagan time, a time when people were not following God. There was a lot of spiritual darkness in Israel during this time. And so what had occurred was that Elkanah, who was again the father of Samuel, had married two women. He'd married Hannah first. And he loved Hannah dearly, but Hannah could not have any children, so he married a second wife, and her name was Penina. So say those two names with me, Hannah and Penina, okay? Now, uh, that's not an easy name to remember. You can remember Hannah quite well, but Penina, that's probably not something you would probably choose to name one of your children, Uh, but it is a name in the Bible. So Elkanah married Hannah and Penina, okay? Now, some folks, when they read the Bible and they see these kind of, uh, uh, these kind of situations of poly- polygamy, they wonder a little bit about it. Why is this thing, and, this polygamous thing in the Bible, does God sort of stamp a stamp of approval upon that? No, it's not a stamp of approval. As I mentioned last week, I was going to explain this. Well, here's your explanation. Are you ready? It was a time of great spiritual darkness in Israel. So, while they were, in some sense, some folks, especially Elkanah being one of those, had a relationship with God at some level. They were still living in a lot of spiritual ignorance. They didn't get things as fully as they should have. They didn't understand God's laws as fully as they should have understood, have understood them. And so what was, and, and, and families obviously were very important because families was, it really represented your economy, your business. And so you had to have a large family to run the farm. Any of you that have any background from farming or agriculture, especially maybe your grandparents or your great grandparents are in agriculture, or maybe reading some of history, you realize that on the farm, you've got to have a lot of kids just to keep things going, right? You got cows to milk and sheep to shear and crops to harvest and all those kind of things. And so if you're going to be sustained agriculturally as a family, at least the mindset was we need lots of kids. And so if you married into a situation where there was barrenness in the family, then they justified that as being reason then to marry someone else that could give them enough kids to keep the family business going. It was their justification for it. And by the way, the justification did not make it right I mean you know that sometimes we justify lots of things but in the midst of justifying them doesn't make them right and I want to use this opportunity to say something about marriage because I believe that there's a lot of confusion in our world today uh, God established marriage as one of the most amazing incredible institutions in fact after creating Adam and Eve the first institution that God created was marriage you know that God created Adam and Eve, and then He brought them together in a union called marriage. And all through the Bible, you see God's definition of marriage, and God's definition of marriage does not include polygamy. God's definition of marriage is one man and one woman for life. That's God's definition, okay? Now, sadly, in our world today, we've seen some change in terms of that definition. I'm not here to rant on that or in any way try to make a case against someone who, is, who, who feels that is right. But I can tell you biblically, that is not what Scripture presents. And I'm your Bible teacher tonight, okay? And so I'm here to teach you the Bible, okay? Now, I'm not asking for applause, okay, I'm just helping you to understand that culture does not always define, that culture does not always go the direction of the Bible. And so we have to understand that God's definition of marriage is very clear, one man, one woman for life. There's never, ever been, from God's perspective, any other definition of marriage. And by the way, throughout millennia in societies, there's never been any other definition of marriage. Never, ever again, until we've seen things like this happening recently. And so I want to make sure that you don't get confused biblically in today's culture, that God very clearly has established a man and a woman for a union together for a strong commitment for life, and out of that, a healthy family arises. And by the way, I really want to encourage those of you who are married to do your best to make marriage your marriage as strong as it can possibly be, because we need witnesses in our world today that God's definition of marriage really works. Amen? I'm happy to say in May this year, my wife and I celebrated 38 years together, okay? So it works, okay? We've never, ever once considered divorce. Thought about murder, but never divorce, okay? Okay. I'm joking, by the way, just so you know. I don't want any law enforcement enforcement officials... uh, Showing up at my house tonight after church and saying, "Hey, we need to talk to you, Mr. Shields." Okay. But that being said, that kind of clears up the perspective of what marriage is all about. So, how does God define marriage, church? One man and one woman for life. It's a lifetime commitment. Okay. That being said, now let's move for, further in this story. The Bible says that after this situation where Elkanah marries. Hannah, Hannah doesn't have any children, so he marries Penina, and Penina starts having all these kids. And the problem was, let me go back and read this for you again, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, because the Lord had, kept, had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's Penina, notice the next two words, say them with me, kept provoking her, kept provoking her in order to, what's the next word? Irritate her. Now, what we're talking about here is family friction. This was not a happy little family. We've got some stuff going on. We've got some dysfunction happening in the home. We've got some situations that are transpiring there. And the Bible says that this lady, Penina, was provoking Hannah and irritating her. She was actually the Greek or the Hebrew word that's used there literally means to arouse painful thoughts and painful feelings in another person. And so purposefully, Penina was was causing pain in Hannah's life. And instead of being a blessing to Hannah, she was a curse to Hannah. Instead of being someone that helped her, she was someone that hurt her. Wouldn't it have been wonderful, at least in the midst of all the dysfunction and all the lack of it it being a right process, wouldn't it have been better for Penina to at least had some pity upon Hannah and the pain she was facing in her life? But not Penina. She says, I'm going to curse and not bless. I'm going to provoke instead of promote. And what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments in your life is I want to talk about about you, me, us. How do we handle the relationships in our lives? Are we a provoker of other people or, or are we a promoter of other people? Because one of the greatest choices you will ever make in life is found in those two words. Are you going to be someone that brings provocation to people around you in a negative way? Will you be like... Penina in that regard or will you make a different choice to be someone that actually blesses and lives a life of blessing because God blessed you so that you can be a blessing that's a pitiful amen I'm gonna say it again every blessing that you have in your life is not for you only every blessing in your life is because God says, I'm going to bless you so that you can actually be a blessing to others. Notice Genesis chapter 12, verse number 2. You'll see these words as God spoke to Abraham as he's calling Abraham to lead this new nation called Israel. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So when God blesses you, he blesses you for the purpose of helping you to be A blessing to people around you and sadly although Penina was blessed by God by having children Penina failed the test of being a blessing she received a blessing but she did not bless around her and I want to encourage each one of us that tonight I'm gonna challenge you and some things I'll give you here in just a moment but to make a choice one of the greatest choices again you will ever make in your life is the choice to say I will be a blessing with my life. I will not be a curse. I will be a blessing. I will allow whatever influence and opportunity that I have in my life, I will allow it to be something that passes on good to the people around me because God has been good to me. I'm going to demonstrate goodness to the people around me. And I'm going to share with you some things that will help you to do that. So I'm going to give you kind of a a test for your life. Uh, actually some checkpoints along the way. I, I, I believe in checklists. How about you? Any of you have some checklists in your life? Some of you are like every morning you create your checklist just so you can check it off. You like checking those things off. I'm going to give you a checklist of 12 things that will help you to become a blessing. How many of you here this weekend want to be a blessing? You don't want to live as a curse to other people. You want to be a blessing. So here are 12 things you can do that can help you to be a blessing. And these are choices you can make. Write them down. Number one, build up, don't tear down. In your relationships with other people, build up, don't tear down. To build means to construct. It means to create progress, to do something that is incrementally bringing assistance and blessing to others as opposed to tearing down or you're disintegrating or denigrating or taking something apart. Let me ask you, in the relationships of your life, whether it be your friendships or your marriage or your work environment, would people say that person builds or would they say that person tears down? And each day, perhaps there's a little bit of both that goes along with us, but I would encourage you to step-by-step step make choices to say, I'm going to be a builder. You know what your children need from you? Oh, yes, they need discipline, and we'll talk about that more in a moment and some of those kinds of things. But one of the things that you can give your children that no one else will ever be able to give them the same way is you'll be able to give them the ability to construct their self-image on the inside, to build their security and your, your words of affirmation to them can create security in them that will give them the ability to resist peer pressure when it comes against them. Why? Because they know that they're secure in their relationship with mom or dad. That security gives them the capacity to face rejection in other places because they know they're accepted in the right place, okay? And so you build up, you don't tear down. Number two, you encourage and don't discourage. That's how, you, that's how you become a blessing. You make the choice. I'm going to be an encourager. I'm going to put something into the people around me that helps them to have hope and confidence on the inside. You know that we live in a very hopeless world right now? And there are a lot of things that we can see that would generate maybe hopelessness in us. And part of what you have to do to be able to give something to someone else, you have to have it before you can give it, right? You've got to be encouraged before you give encouragement to people around you. And part of growing in your faith in Christ is learning how to get encouragement from God on a day-to-day basis so that you're not waiting for other people to always encourage you. You get it from God so you have something to give to the people around you as a gift of God to them. There's so many Christians, so many people that are walking around just waiting for somebody to encourage them. Let me tell you, encourage yourself. Look in the mirror and say, God has been good to me. I have hope for my future. I believe the best is ahead of me and not behind me. I believe that God is for me and God is not against me. You look at yourself in the mirror and say that a few times, I tell you what, you'll have some encouragement that will rise up in you and then you can go out into your day and you can speak encouragement to the people around you. Don't discourage people. Encourage people. Make them more likely to do what is good. Spur them on. Don't deprive them of confidence. Number three, inspire, don't deflate. To inspire is to to breathe life into something. That's actually what the word inspire means. When we talk about the inspired word of God, it means it's God breathed. God breathed into by His life into Scripture, and so it's inspired. And so to inspire is to make somebody want to do something. You know, there are people in life that have a whole lot more in them than they're demonstrating right now. In fact, I would say to you, there's a lot more in you than you ever thought was in you. And I want to be an inspiration to you tonight. I want to tell you, there's a lot of great stuff in you that you never knew was there. God sees it in you. You don't see it in yourself. So I speak inspiration into your life tonight. I'm saying, God sees you and he's given you, a, he's given you giftings and capacities. And God says, I want to breathe that sense of inspiration so you'll live an inspired life and you will live an animated life, and you will live a life where these things are drawn out of you, and you will also draw them out of others. Number four, raise, don't lower. Let me ask you the question: When you arrive in any situation, do you raise the bar or do you lower the bar? Do you raise the atmosphere or do you lower the atmosphere? What is what is your presence? What is the p- impact of your presence upon the people around you? What is the impact of your presence upon the people or the environment that you work in? Do you raise things that when you walk into an environment, things kind of go up a notch? Or do you bring everybody down when you show up? Ever met a person like that? Anybody remember the old Charlie Brown uh, uh, cartoons? Remember those? Okay. Somebody's like, Charlie Brown? Who was that? Okay. Charlie Brown, there was a, there was a, a character in Charlie Brown. Anybody remember Pigpen? Pigpen? You remember, Pickpen? What was what was what was distinct about Pickpenny? What did he have around him all the time? He had this dark cloud around him all the time. Everywhere he showed up, he, he just like doomed despair, agony on me, deep dark depression, excessive misery. If I have any luck, it'll be bad luck. Okay. That's the mindset that a lot of people carry with them. And so they show up and everything goes down. They lower. But I want to encourage you to say, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to raise the environment. Number five, the fifth way to be a blessing is cooperate. Don't contend. Have you ever met a person before that they just want to fight? All the time. I mean, they just create a fight wherever they go. I mean, if you say up, they say down. You say red, they say blue. Whatever you say, they tend to take the opposite side. So there's this, this the conflict just ca- is carried around with them. And so anytime they show up, they bring contention into the environment. They create strife and they create division. They create this sense of argument and contest around them. In fact, as we used to say, that there's some people who love to fight so much that they'll fight at the drop of a hat and drop their own hat to fight. Sometimes that's the way we are. In fact, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, we get into these contentious moments. And what I want to challenge you with tonight is just, are you ready for this? I have a good word for you tonight. Here's a good word about contention. You ready? Are you ready? I mean, this is a good word, okay? It's directly from God to you tonight. Are you ready for it? Stop it. Just stop it. Just shut your mouth. When that argument wants to come out, you know what it's all about? The Bible says with pride comes contention. You know what an argument oftentimes is about? It's about you winning. It's about you looking good. It's about you wanting to come out on top. And so there's this contention that creates problems in relationships. But learn to cooperate with those around you. It's so much sweeter when you have that kind of an atmosphere. Number six, believe, don't doubt. To believe is to have faith, isn't it? I am a believer. I start from the premise that I believe in God. I have any other believers here tonight? I believe that God exists. Do you believe that God exists? I'm firmly convinced. I know that God exists. I believe that He exists and I also according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, I also believe that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. I believe that God exists. I believe that God is good. I believe that God loves me. I believe that God cares about me. I believe that if I will live for God, that is the best way I could ever live. I believe that God rewards those according to scripture that diligently seek Him and serve Him. I believe believe in God. Not only do I believe in God, but I believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that God came in the flesh into our world, incarnate God. And He showed up on this planet, born by the Virgin Mary into our world. And He ultimately, at 30 years of age, goes into ministry. And then at about 33 years of age, goes to the cross and takes the penalty for my sin and your sin. I believe that He died for my sin so that I could be forgiven. I believe, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ, not only did He die, but I believe on the third day, death could not keep him. I believe that death enabled that death was overcome by his life and power because he was and is the resurrection and the life. And I believe that Jesus Christ after 40 days with his disciples went to the mount of olives. He ascended back to the right hand of God the Father and he said, "I'm coming back again." I believe these things to be true. And how could you wake up in the morning believing those things to be true and not have a good day? How could you start your day realizing this is who God is? He loves me. He cares about me. He sent his only begotten son into the world for me, who died a substitutionary death so that I could have life. He rose from the grave. He's coming back again. Thanks be to God. I am a believer. Okay? I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. And there's something that happens when we become believers, because what occurs is that it infiltrates every part of your life. And that that negativity of how bad life is and how hard things are and all those kind of things. Those kind of things have a hard time hanging around the atmosphere of a believer. And when believers show up, they have influence upon doubters. How do you help other people who don't know Jesus come to faith in Christ? They have to taste what it feels like to get a little bit of a taste of a believer. Okay. What's a believer like? And when they get around you, they sense that reality and it draws them to the very same God that you've been drawn to. So believe, don't doubt. That's how you are a blessing. Number seven, love, don't hate. How do you bless? You love and you don't hate. Boy, isn't there a lot of hatred in our world today? It's all around us. We see it on the news, time after time and events that transpire that just are generating and spilling out hatred. In our political system, so much hatred that is, that is, that is, that is articulated and communicated. Our relationships are filled with hatred environments even at work are often times where there's so much backbiting going on and one person's trying to position themselves above someone else because they have this offense against them and hatred is generated in the environment around them, hostility, intensity of anger and dislike that leads to all this destructive stuff. God came to teach us how to be people of love, how to live a life of love. Now, love doesn't mean that you approve of everything, okay? Love doesn't mean that, well, this is sloppy and I just approve of everything because I just love everybody. No, but love says no matter who you are or what you've done, I still love you. OK, I may not love what you do, but I love you. Because that's what God that's the kind of love that God has shown you. Is that not true? Does God approve of everything you do? Come on, church, does God approve of everything you do? OK, he doesn't, does he? OK, anybody ever displeased God? Of course we do. We displease Him. And of course, that hurts the heart of God. And He wants to move us toward pleasing Him. That's one of the goals we need to have as believers. But even though, even at times when we are displeasing to God and we miss the mark with God, does God stop loving you? No, He doesn't stop loving you. He might discipline you. He might bring some things in your life to train you along the way and help you to change your life in ways that it needs to change. But even his discipline, the Bible says, is based in his love. And in the same way that God loves us, we certainly ought to love one another. What does that love look like? Well, it starts with love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? It's the person that you interact with at any level of life. You're not going to interact with Everybody in the world all at one time, but you will interact with certain people along the way, right? You don't, do anybody interact with your family? I hope you do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you include, would you think, husbands, that your wife is your neighbor? Come on, it's not a trick question, okay? <laughs> Wise, would you agree that your husband, at the very least, he's at least a neighbor, right? Right? Are you with me? Okay. So you got to love him as your neighbor. Well, if you can't love him as your neighbor, Jesus didn't stop there, okay? He said, love your enemy, right? So even if you are enemies right now with your husband or your wife, you're not out. You're not let off the hook, Okay? There's still love that is generated in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to pass on to those around us. This is how you are a blessing. Number eight, a key word here. In fact, you may not be familiar with this word. I want to give it to you and explain it to you. You need to ameliorate, not irritate. The word ameliorate is a very important word. It means to actually soothe it's like applying balm to something. If you've burned yourself in some, at some point in time and it's hurting, it's burning, and there's an application of a balm that soothes the irritation that is there. And that's what God wants you and I to be. He wants us to be soothers. When we come into situations, instead of irritating things and making them worse, we bring a soothing effect upon environments. It's called being a blessing. And Instead of causing pain, we actually cause relief. Number nine, add relief don't subtract. To add means to put something in that wasn't there before. Put something positive in that's valuable, that is beneficial. To subtract is to take away, to withdraw resources, to drain resources. You know there are a lot of people that in the relationships of their life, they're drainers. They live their whole lives and they suck people dry. You met someone like that before? Okay. That The only thing they think about in their life is I'm going to get into that world and it's all about them. And so whatever the relationship is, they come in like a parasite and they begin to suck the life out. And then they will destroy that relationship and go on to another relationship and suck the life out of that one. And then move on to another one. And they have a track record of their life of broken relationships. Why? Because they've never learned how to add. They're always subtracting. And dear ones, I'll tell you something. If you're in a relationship in your life, if you're always subtracting and not adding, at some point you'll be bankrupt, okay? The relationship will go bankrupt. You can't continue to withdraw from a bank until a certain point in time. The bank says, sorry, insufficient funds. And part of the reasons that our relationships are as broken as they are is because we're always pulling out, we're always withdrawing from that husband or from that wife or from that work relationship or that friendship and we're never thinking about how can I add back in. Again, I am blessed to be a blessing. And so my job is not just to get what I can get from you. My job is to bring to you what I can bring and bring deposits into your life, not simply make withdrawals. Number 10, heal, don't wound. If you want to be a blessing, heal, don't wound. To heal is to make well, it's to make sound, it's to make whole, it's to cause an undesirable condition to be overcome. It's to patch up, it's to restore. You know, in all of our lives, there are times that you and I have situations with people and circumstances where there's some friction and there's some, there's some pain that happens. You can't live life in relationship without having some pain along the way. And so if you're expecting uh, your marriage or your friendships to always be painless, you're living in the, that's, that's called heaven, okay? That's not that's not here, okay? Because while we're down here, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have th- situations that will arise from time to time. But your pain and your troubles and your relationships don't have to destroy you or destroy the relationships. Because if you will make the choice of saying, I'm going to, when pain comes up, when a problem arises, I'm going to make the choice. I'm not going to continue to add more wounding. I'm going to be a healer. I'm going to be a healer. So if something happens, Jeff Patch, great friend of mine. Jeff, stand up just for a moment. I'm gonna draw draw use you right here. So uh, let's say that Jeff, we've been friends for 30 years now, okay? And uh, actually Jeff was one of the first families that ever showed Jeff and Lori, the first families that ever came to our church over thirty years ago, approximately thirty years ago. So we've known each other for a long time. And let's say that something came up in our relationship that created some stress in our interaction with one another. You know what a wounder will do? A wounder will start withdrawing and shooting. Okay, taking aside and say, okay, I'm going to protect myself against, and now before, now the friendship turns into uh, an antagonistic situation because I'm not willing to move toward him and he's not willing to move toward me. But if you become a healer, what you do is you say, you know what, Jeff, we've loved each other for a long time. There's been something that's come up. Let's work this thing out. Come on up here a little bit further, okay, because I can't get down there. I would come to you. But we, we draw, see, instead of doing this, what do we do? We do this. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Instead of walking away and saying, I'm just writing that person off, we say, you know what? I'm going to fix this. I'm going to be a healer. I'm going to find, because I love you so much, and we've loved each other for a long time. So we're going to make sure nothing gets in the way to destroy us. But you know what, what that is? That's a choice. Okay. God doesn't make you do that. It's a choice you say, I'm not going to let this get in the way of me. I'm going to do something that will bring about the healing. By the way, I've always loved you, Jeff, and I have nothing against you, just to make sure, okay? So I wasn't picking on you because I, I really needed to do this, okay? Just to make sure that's clear. Thank you very much. I'll shake your hand just to be sure, okay? All right? You see the choice there? We're talking about choices in your life. Let's go to the next one. There's certain situations in life where you're going to be involved in in interactions with situations where you may have a role of authority or responsibility, and you have to correct but never condemn. Do you want to be a blessing? Amen? With your children, you're going to have to correct them. I hope you correct your children. If you don't correct them, they're going to be spoiled, okay? They're going to be a mess, okay? One of the reasons that God puts you in their life as a parent is that you would bring them correction. But there's a difference between correction and condemnation. Let me explain condemnation. When you condemn someone, it means that you have judged them as being unfit and unredeemable and hopeless. That's what it means to condemn someone. They are unredeemable, they're unfit, they are hopeless. God doesn't treat us that way, does He? Go back and read John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, where it says, God loved the world, gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It goes on now in the next verse and says, but God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so there is correction that is to make better, to alter, to adjust for good, to lead along a straight path, but to make the decision, I am not going to live a life where I'm always condemning people around me. I have not been set up as the world's judge. How about about that, Amen? amen? I'm not the world's judge. There's only one judge that is a righteous judge, and that is God. And the last one I want to conclude with tonight is make a decision to be a blessing. You're going to help, and you're not going to hinder. You're not going to hinder. You're going to help. To be a helper means that you do things that make things easier for people. You make things less severe for them, more pleasant, lighter, bearable You provide meaningful support and assistance. To hinder means that you make it more difficult. You get in the way. You impede. You prevent positive important progress. You put things behind instead of ahead. That's called hinder or hinder is the original word that that hinder comes from. as to get behind in a bad way instead of helping in a positive assisting way. I'll conclude by asking you this question. Hey, have you ever helped, had a situation in your life where you were really, really hurting, got stuff going on in your life, and it was just way beyond you, and it just, stuff you couldn't handle, you didn't even know how to handle it, was beyond even your knowledge base of knowing what to do, and someone showed up in your world and said, you know what, let me help you with that, and they were a genuine friend, and they showed up, and they really brought assistance to you. They really took over something that you were struggling with and they just took care of it for you in a wonderful way and then you came out of that realizing, wow, I made it because that person helped me. Anybody ever had a situation like that where somebody lifted a burden for you along the way? Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Okay. On the opposite side, have you ever had someone that you're dealing with stuff, I mean, it's going the same kind of situation, bad stuff's happening, and they show up in your world, and it seems like they bring all their problems with them, and they add them to the load you already have, okay? And instead of trying to be a helper along the way, they're actually an imp- impediment to what you're trying to accomplish. What does that feel like? doesn't feel good, does it? And so the choice that we make in life is to say, you know what, in every situation, I can't help everybody. Can't help every situation. God doesn't expect you to help everybody because you can't help everybody in every situation. But you can help some. There's some people that God you'll, God will put you in their life, and He'll say, "I want you to be their helper." You know, being a helper is a great calling from God. I'll show you how important the calling of God, being a helper, is. You know, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Helper. Did you know that? Okay. Oh, I'm just a helper. No, you're not just a helper. That's one of the names that's given to the Holy Spirit, the helper. So when you actually step in in God's grace and power and you help someone, whose work are you doing? You're actually doing the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in another person's life. You're making the choice to say, now I'm going to step into the world of those that God is appointing me to help. I'm going to assist them and make their load lighter. When I do, I'm doing the work of God. I am blessed to be a Blessing. My main theme tonight as we're wrapping up is simply this. Make the choice to say, in my life, every day, by the grace of God, I am going to be a blessing. Don't be Penina. Amen? If that's your name, change it. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask you'll take this message in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that we would realize day by day that we are blessed to be a blessing. Seal this word in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention His name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.